It's great to see you all today, as ever. You're all lovely. Um, and special to meet visitors from America this morning. And I've heard a rumor that somewhere we have Chris and Heather from Australia. Oh, there you are. <laughs> really lovely to see you. It's been a long time, hasn't it? But um, You're welcome. Everyone is welcome. And for those of you who are visiting, or perhaps if you've forgotten, as a church at our morning services, we're following a little series called Following the Way of Jesus. And kind of being on the way is um, something we're thinking about a lot as a church, because we are literally on the Cotswold Way that comes past the church. And if you were in Western yesterday, you'll have seen hundreds of people walking, running, staggering their way um, past our church as various events were going on. And I think it's quite exciting that thinking about the Cotswold Way as part of our rock plans as well, to see how we as a church can perhaps bless the thousands of people who walk past our door every single year on the Cotswold Way. But of course, more than that, being on the way as a church, we're trying to work out how we can live our lives following Jesus' life um, and his teaching and his example. And so for a few weeks, we're looking at the sayings of Jesus saying, I am. And this echoes really nicely, kind of back to earlier in the year as a church, we were looking at the story of Moses. And you'll remember that there was that extraordinary um, encounter when uh, Moses was by this burning bush and he encountered God who introduced himself as being the great I am, Yahweh. And that's easy enough for us to say in English, but I think what God was communicating at the time was that he was just so um, almighty, all-powerful, quite mysterious, unknowable, and even unpronounceable. It was an extraordinary encounter. And then when we look at the I am's of Jesus, it's quite different, isn't it? Because he's clearly wanting to make himself and therefore God known and relatable. And each of these I am's begs a response in each of us. And so far we've looked at when Jesus said he was the bread of life and the light of the world. And as you've seen today, we're thinking about the good shepherd. And of course, the shepherd is a theme that runs throughout the whole Bible. Uh, we love to teach children the story of the lost sheep. And as we get older, we cling more to the words of Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd. And in fact, um, a bit later this year in September, um, I and quite a few others from this church are going to be taking a group of people on holiday to Lourdes in France, where the theme is going to be the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And some of the people coming along um, don't speak. Instead, they use a kind of sign language called Makaton. And I thought I'd set myself the challenge of learning how to sign the 23rd Psalm. But um, although I know some sign language, I know how to ask Rob if he wants a biscuit or um, where Monica's been on holiday, I don't know all the different signs for the 23rd Psalm. And I was happy a week ago to be at an event and find myself talking to someone whose job is to be a BSL translator. Uh, sign language is his job. And so I explained what I was trying to do. And I said, it's okay, I know the word for shepherd, and I gestured the curved sign of a shepherd's crook, but it's the other words I need help with. And he said, stop right there. <laughs> 
um, do you really want to say that Jesus is a shepherd? And I was like, duh, yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, is Jesus really, literally a shepherd? Is he running around with sheep? And of course, no, no. He said, what is it that you really want to communicate about Jesus being a shepherd? Isn't it more about the fact that he looks after his sheep? And then someone else standing in the group said, "Mm, yes, but isn't it more about the way that Jesus leads the sheep? And it's a really good question. If you were asked to sign a symbol to represent Jesus being your shepherd, how would you sign it? Is it about looking after? Is it about leading? Is it something else? In the 23rd Psalm, we love to read about Jesus restoring, making new, or comforting. Those are all really lovely aspects of Jesus being a shepherd. But interestingly, none of those are referred to in our reading today. So we're going to look at these few verses from John chapter 10 to see what Jesus is actually drawing our attention to when he says that he is the good shepherd. But before we do that, let's have a contrast and see what a bad shepherd looks like. Because as I said, running through the Bible... um, the shepherd theme comes up a lot and Ezekiel is another book that talks about shepherd and sheep a lot and Ezekiel is prophesying, he's speaking from God to the religious leaders and this is what he says woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves should not the shepherds take care of the flock you eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. That's a picture of a bad shepherd. And in contrast, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I'm going to point out three little things that I think Jesus is um, saying in these verses in John 10 about being a good shepherd too briefly and one a little bit longer first of all the shepherd loves his sheep actually Rhoda taught us that earlier on today when she kissed the sheep in verse 11 Jesus says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep And that's an echo of what comes a few chapters later when Jesus says, Greater love has no man than he who lays down his life for his friends. And that's what we remember week after week when we come to church, and particularly on days when we celebrate communion. We remember Jesus laying down his life for his friends, for us. He's not like the hired hand who runs away at the sign of danger but he sacrificed himself so that we might have life. That's one little thing. He loves his sheep. Second one, verse 14. I know my sheep 
and they know me. I know my sheep and they know me. And I guess that's quite a contrast, that idea of the great I am um, that Moses encountered, who was so mysterious, so unknowable in many ways, so um, oh, intimidating, unable to see, unable to really understand. But here Jesus is pointing to the fact that he really knows us and he really wants us to know him in an intimate way. But let's move on to the third one. And this is the one that I hadn't noticed before. Um, if you were in church last week, then Niger was the one who was speaking about the light of the world. And he pointed out that each of the I ams include a description, what Jesus says, I am, dot, dot, dot. Then there's an action of what his listeners should do. And then there's a consequence. So for the bread of life, I am the bread of life. That's a description. The action is come to me. And the consequence is you'll never be hungry and thirsty again. The light of the world, that's the description. The action is follow me. And the consequence is you'll never walk in darkness and you'll have the light of life. So did you spot what we had in our passage today? Verse 16. He is the good shepherd. The action is to listen and the consequence is there will be one flock. Listen and there'll be one flock. Now, I guess from a shepherding point of view, that makes sense. You want all your sheep together because the sheep that's separated, that goes off on its own, um, risks harm, getting lost, is vulnerable to attack. Every sheep is precious and the shepherd wants to keep his sheep together. And I guess that's why we do love that parable of the lost sheep so much that picture of the shepherd going off to find the one that wandered away but I think there's more to this idea of the one flock than stopping the stragglers from disappearing there is something very deep and precious in God's heart about oneness and about unity and again it's a theme that runs throughout the whole bible I'm going to duck back to the Psalms. This is a very short psalm that some of you will be familiar with. It's 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on the Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. God loves it when we live in unity. But it's hard, and that's why Jesus came. He came to make it possible for us to live as one. And I wonder if you noticed in the passage where Jesus says that there are other sheep that he wants to bring in as well. I think probably in that context he was talking to Jewish people and he was meaning that he was wanting to draw in the Gentiles, us, to be part of the one flock. And there are always more people who need to come in 
reflecting back on that, these are some words that Paul wrote about how Jesus made it possible for us to come together and to live in peace. This is from Ephesians 2, about Jesus. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access to the Father by the Spirit." That's all wonderful, isn't it? But (laughs) we still see division. We still see hostility in the world. What causes these divisions? Clearly through history and even today, religious differences cause hostility. Perhaps if we think closer to home, hurt feelings, frustration, disapproval, And perhaps just a general culture of criticism. We all want to jump on the bandwagon. All of these things cause groups to fragment, for there to be hostility, for there to be division. And I wonder when that happens, what's your natural response when you're frustrated, when you're hurt? Do you shout and swear? Do you withdraw and sulk? Do you plot your revenge? Do you make sure you punish that person who hurt you? Or do you just have a good old gossip to make sure everyone else knows what a horrible person they are? I don't think any of those ways are following the way of the good shepherd, are they? If we're honest. He is the good shepherd and he wants one flock. And what does he ask us to do? He asks us to listen. If we listen to him properly, I don't think that means that we'd all end up following the same football team or supporting the same political party or even being the same church denomination. I think God's oneness and unity goes deeper somehow so that it is possible to have unity within diversity. God, Jesus, longs to talk to us about deeper things. This week I took um, the people I work with at the barn out to a lovely garden near Bristol run by a little Christian community and they gave us a little treasure hunt to do and around the garden um, the lady had painted on pebbles the different fruits of the spirit and so we all had to go around finding these um, pebbles and when we all came back together um, she just reflected, gosh, wouldn't life be different if we all lived by these fruits of the spirit? And in this context, isn't that true? Wouldn't it be amazing if in the face of cruelty and selfishness we could respond with kindness and self-control? What if in the face of injustice we could stick to pursuing good? When we're hurt, 
really learning to exercise forgiveness, learning to pray for our enemies. It's very countercultural, isn't it? And it may feel a little bit impossible and unrealistic. But I think Jesus has made it possible. I keep looking at this banner. You will be filled with power. Jesus talked to us about a lot of things, but he also promised his spirit to help and enable us, to give us this strength, this power, this transformation within us. We know, too, that he is our advocate, that when we pray, he is bringing our requests to the Father. And he's also given us one another. I think we know well enough by now that we don't just um, shove down difficult and painful and hard feelings inside us. We know that's not good for our health. But he's given us one another. So it is good to vent, whether you're venting to God in prayer, through your journal, or finding someone you trust who will keep confidence And you can just splurge it all out, knowing that they will pray for you and with you. But the key thing here is to stop and to listen, not to respond with that knee-jerk reaction of shouting and swearing or gossiping or whatever it is, but to listen and say, Jesus, how do you want me to respond in this situation? Oneness, unity, is important to God. I won't read the verses now, but back in Ezekiel again, in chapter 37, there's a lovely passage where, again, um, uh, Ezekiel's talking about how two will become one. And the consequence there is that nations around, the nations looking at his people will know that he is God. When people who don't know God look at our communities, look at our families, look at our relationships, see how we are in the workplace, when they see that we're not people of division and hostility, but people of peace who strive for unity, that is an amazing witness of God and his love and his purposes for our world. So I'm finishing up now. We've looked at the idea of the Good Shepherd and we love to think of him guiding and comforting, restoring. But today, allow yourself to be challenged and encouraged by these three thoughts. One, a reminder that Jesus loves you so much as you are. You're precious to him. That he knows you And he is knowable by you. Pursue that. And third, oneness, unity, is incredibly important to him. That's what he strives for, one flock. That begs so many more questions than it answers. But I think each of us, in a small way, can make little changes in the way we behave that could transform our world. Shall we pray to finish?
Let's remember that we are here in the presence of that great I am, the mysterious Almighty One, and in the presence of the Good Shepherd who longs to be known and who knows us so well. Jesus says, I am. In his presence, what do you say? If you were to complete this sentence, I am, what would you say about yourself today? I am hurt. I'm frustrated. I'm feeling overwhelmed. You complete the sentence in a moment's quiet. I am. Good Shepherd, Prince of Peace, you love us so much that you lay down your life for us. Would you meet us in our need and help us rather than to react, to stop and to listen? Please transform us in the way that we respond to hard situations. And we lay down our lives before you now. We lay down the life of our church and community here and pray that you would make us one. And I'm just going to finish with some words that Jesus is praying for us. In chapter 17 of John, he prays this for us. I pray that they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Amen. Let that be so.